Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Mike Glauser, an entrepreneur, professor, and business consultant who has a new book which lays out six universal truths for being happy together. A very fun conversation ahead. Stay with us. All right, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to visit with you. Yeah, excited to speak with you too. You've done a tremendous amount in your career and you just wrote a really cool new book, One People, One Planet, Six Universal Truths for Being Happy Together. We want to get all into that, but how does one write a book about universal truths and happiness? Like how I'd love to hear about, you know, a little bit about your career and your journey and kind of how you got to where you are today. So when I was in college, I was really intrigued by the concept of building new organizations. And I thought it would be so awesome to know how to put human organizations together where you had uh, really important products or services you were offering that met, you know, important needs but also were really uh, great places for people to work, where people would want to come and work. So I went straight through a bachelor's, master's, and PhD uh, in organizational studies and started teaching at the University of North Carolina. And uh, I was 27 years old, and I realized that I felt a little bit like an imposter. I'd never really worked in the business world. I was a pure academic. And I decided if I ever wanted to be a thought leader in the field of entrepreneurship and organization development, I needed to kind of leave the safe harbor of academics and go out into the real world. So I, I quickly left and spent about 20 years uh, building organizations, uh, helping others build organizations. I built a number of companies and sold some of those companies and uh, ended up back at the university teaching now that I know what I'm talking about. So that's kind of a quick background. That's pretty cool. So what were some of these companies that you were buying built, or building and, uh, and selling? So I've started a couple of real estate development companies. I've started a wholesale food distribution company, a, a retail food business, uh, a couple of educational companies. And, uh, you know, we were the first, the biggest company. We had about 600 employees and uh, we were the first in the country to create a whole line of uh, non-fat, low-calorie frozen dessert products. And the product line was called Northern Lights. And we had a retail company called uh, Golden Swirl. And so we integrated that organization. We created the products, we distributed the products, we wholesaled the products, and we retailed the products. And I sold that to a, a public company traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Amazing. Okay, so you're doing all this great stuff in the business world. And then was you know academia and teaching was that that was always your passion? And this this was a twenty year sidestep into entrepreneurship, or kind of how did you how did you look at that? You know, I thought I might go back to the university someday, but I wasn't you know, too enthused with the pressure to publish articles that nobody reads and uh, the process of trying to accumulate and acquire tenure. And so I, uh, I was actually recruited back to the university um, 
I'm what they call now a professor of practice. So if you have significant business experience, you can go back and you're not in a tenure track position and you're not required to publish so many articles each year in A-level journals. You basically teach. And uh, since I'm the director of the Center for Entrepreneurship, my main objective is to help students, graduate and undergraduate students, create and launch and scale new companies. So it's just very, very rewarding. And uh, I love being back at the university. Yeah. Like that must be very rewarding. Are there some cool examples of of businesses that you've and students that you've kind of helped mentor that have gone on to do really interesting things? Yeah. So we have a, we've launched almost 300 companies since I've been directing the center and a lot of them are, you know, side hustles, side gigs. Uh, they generate revenue, but they're not very big, but we have some large companies. The, the cookie company crumble, you may know, uh, Sawyer Hemsley came out of our program and they have, I think 400 plus stores today, and they employ about 12,000 people. Uh, we have a company called Monumetric and uh, a large company called Danique. And so we do have some very large companies that are creating jobs in the U.S., and, uh, but, a lot, but a lot of smaller companies. You're right. That, that sounds so interesting, very rewarding. And then so you become, you're back, you're this uh, professor in practice and you're teaching entrepreneurship. And then where does the you know, genesis for the, the book start to manifest? So two things happened in my career. And one is that I'm, I'm still very concerned about is what I call this epidemic of despair, uh, anxiety, depression, suicides are up in every single age demographic in the United States, higher than they've ever been before. Uh, something's going on where we're just not feeling emotionally hardy or healthy any longer. You're probably aware of that and maybe aware of those statistics. Um, at the high school and college level, um, you know, it's, it's the worst. About 40% of high school students say they feel persistently sad or hopeless, and 20% say they have contemplated suicide, uh, which are huge numbers. At the college level where I work, 40% of our students say that they're so depressed at times they can't do their schoolwork, and 60% say they're lonely much of the time. And overall in the United States, about 20, 21, 22% of us at any given time are suffering from some form of mental illness. And so I was very concerned about that and trying to figure out what's going on and is there a way to address that uh, problem broadly. And uh, so that's probably the main the uh, reason for really writing the book during the COVID period of time. But, you know, other things, I, I had an opportunity to work in uh, Saudi Arabia at the King's University early in my career. And uh, I was recruited, interviewed down in Houston. And they said to me, they said, you know, you, if you take this position, you can't talk about politics and you can't talk about religion or you'll be terminated, summarily terminated. I, they said, can you live with that? And I said, sure, it's your culture, it's, you know, your country, I will follow your norms and standards. And when I got over to, uh, to Arabia, every one of my colleagues started asking me about religion. What's your religious, you know, preference? You know, what do you believe? And I kept saying, I can't talk about that. I can't talk about that. And, and finally, they said, no, you got it wrong. You can't talk to us about your faith, but we can talk to you about ours. Do you want to study Islam with us? Of course, I was there to experience the culture. So I said, you know, absolutely. And so for two years, I studied uh, Arabic and Islam and came back and did some work in Islamic law. And I was so impressed with the fact there's more commonalities between Islam and Christianity than there are differences on the things that relate to happiness and civility in communities. So, you know, if you if you look at the mysteries, you know, 
what is the nature of God? Is there a God? Did we live before life? Or are we going to live after life? There are differences. But if you look at what uh, these religions taught about being happy on earth and having civil communities, the teachings were almost identical. And so that kind of launched me on a, a quest to really study the original writings, the original manuscripts of the biggest world religions, as well as the writings of the philosophers. And so in the back of my mind, I had this this feeling that there's some really important uh, universal truths on happiness that seem to work for everyone that have been on the earth for thousands of years. And so looking at, you know, feeling like there were some, re there were some things we could do to improve this epidemic of despair and then seeing how bad it was, I kind of combined those two interests. And uh, I had to cancel all my international flights during COVID. So I just said, now's a good time to write this book. So that's how it came about. Wow. I love that. Like so authentic. You're actually feeling this amongst your students, this you know, sense of despair, and then combining it with the kind of uh, your, your learnings around Islam and this different religion. Um, so let's get into it. What are these, some of these universal truths and like, you know, what are some of the commonalities and, you know, even differences between, you know, these different uh, ways of, uh, of faith and, and believing? So maybe as a preface, I'll just say that I, I looked at three sources of knowledge that were all credible to certain groups in the population. So one was religion, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity. Then I looked at the writings of the great philosophers from Greek and Rome. And, uh, and then I went to, you know, a lot, not, pe not everyone likes religion or philosophy. So I thought, what does science say about this? And so lastly, I went to positive psychology in the last, you know, about 10 to 20 years of research. And I combined all those things together to come up with these six concepts that have actually been shown in modern day research, this coupling of ancient wisdom with modern day research has been shown to improve our happiness in real time. So if we do these things today, our day will be better. We'll, we'll be happier and our life will be better today. So the first one has to do with this, uh, the concept of ego. We thought of ego in the past as someone that's really proud, really full of themselves, really cocky. But the way ego has been defined in all these three sources of knowledge, it's, it's the uh, accumulation of all your self-perceptions. So how did you come to know who you are? And what do you believe about yourself? What are your bounds? What are your limitations? And all of these ancient writings, they say we have two selves. We have this mortal self, which is a fabricated ego of what we think we can do and what we think we are. And that's come from feedback from others from our very earliest years about we're too tall, we're too thick, we're too thin, we're smart, we're not smart, we're athletic. And so we develop these self-perceptions, which they call a fabrication. And then we have this true self, which is, you know, the potential of the human being, which is, is vast and tremendous and uh, capable of doing many, many things beyond this fabricated ego. So the first concept is you got to understand that these self-perceptions are not who you really are. And that once you start shedding those, uh, the world of possibilities opens up for you. So that's the first concept. The second one, we we judge other people in the same way we've learned to judge ourselves. We, we hear very superficial things about individuals, their color, maybe their religion, their national origin, their sexual orientation. We develop a whole bundle of perceptions that seem to go along with that. And uh, our perceptions of others are always incomplete and often dead wrong. And so when we realize that my self-perceptions are not who I really am and my perceptions of other people are not who they are, and we learn to quit judging people, we open up a, a vast pool of people to be friends with and to interact with. And the more friendships we have, the more people that we like and the more people we talk with, 
it immediately impacts our happiness. So those are the first two. This is so interesting. I mean, I, I, I really identify with, with what you're talking about of like a made up persona that we've kind of uh, ascribed to ourselves and, and, and to others. So that's, you know, that doesn't seem very uh, helpful at all. And so what I tried to do in the book is rather than have it be really academic, I tried to get away completely from that. And so I went out and interviewed dozens of people that have lived in despair and now are quite happy that can tell their stories about how they overcame these fabricated illusions of self. And, and one of the guys, uh, David DeRocher, spent 20 years in prison in Los Angeles um, for multiple crimes. And uh, he was the meanest, baddest guy in the prison. He was the leader of the white gang. He, they say he held the keys to the prison yard. And uh, he was finally uh, released and allowed to go to a rehabilitation program in Los Angeles called Delancey Street. And he really had to figure out who he was. And he realized that he was always a, a kind, decent person before he got caught up in the gangs in LA and that he really enjoyed people and he was not really judgmental. And, and over a few years, he became just a completely new and decent guy. And now he runs one of the most successful rehabilitation programs in the world called the Other Side Academy. And he's probably the happiest guy that I, that I know. And so I keep telling stories of people that have overcome these self-perceptions and become, you know, really happy, decent people. Uh, as far as judging, I interviewed a fellow uh, in Chicago named R. Shea Cooper, who grew up in the gangs uh, of Chicago, and he had to cross three or four gang territories to get to high school. And he was, you know, beaten up because his hat was on wrong and his shirt was the wrong color. And and one day someone showed up at the high school and, and tried to form a rowing team with people from these different gangs. And, you know, they weren't having any of it, but they finally talked some people into joining this rowing team. And they realized when they got in the boat together that they were more alike than they were different, that they'd all been through trauma. They'd all suffered. They all uh, wanted to be better and different. And they became such great friends. They realized if we can overcome our differences as different gang members, we could probably learn to like the Chicago Police Department. So they invited some cops from the police department to come row with them in their rowing team, and they became best friends. And the motto of the summary is it's, it's hard to hate up close. So when you interact with people, you realize we're more alike than we are different. And their, their joy just increased tenfold when they realized that everyone was a potential friend and that they were misperceiving pretty much everyone that they, that they knew. So those are the first two concepts, losing this fabricated ego and learning to quit judging and, and shedding our biases towards others. Right. And I love that idea. It's hard to hate up close. I mean, we're all one family. So that, that, that makes total sense. You want to go on to the next few? Yeah, let's, let's hear the next couple. So the next one is uh, doing good deeds daily. And there's just a ton of research um, that if we forget about ourselves, Instead of getting up every morning and thinking, you know, me, 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 uh, do I look good? Am I dressed properly? Am I going to interact the right way? And did I say the right things? We, we get up and say, I'd like to add some value to someone's life today and make a contribution. You got looking for ways, almost random acts of kindness, things to do for others. Now that you've learned that you have more potential, you've learned that other people are not who you thought they were. Now you're going to start going and doing good deeds for others. And, you know, to pay someone's toll behind you at the toll booth, to uh, carry someone's groceries, to shovel someone's walks in the wintertime, to give up a seat on the bus, to maybe just even call 
I teach this class to my students and one student with almost tears in his eyes said, I, I started calling my mother more after you taught me this principle and it's made a huge difference in my life and our relationship. So good, doing good deeds uh, makes a huge difference in our lives. And the story in the book that I like that I tell is the, uh, the author, Richard Paul Evans. He's sold 20 million copies. He's a New York Times bestselling author and he said when he was out on the road promoting his books in his early stage, his marriage started falling apart and uh, they realized that maybe there was no way to save it and that divorce was the only answer, but it broke his heart because he didn't, he didn't want to divorce his wife. And he had this feeling that I'm going to go back home and I'm going to do, think more about her than myself and do good deeds every day. And so he got back from a book tour and he woke up and said, Carrie, what can I do for you today to make your life better? And They'd had a big fight the night before. And she said, what are you talking about, Paul? I said, no, I, I really want to do something nice for you. She said, okay, go clean the garage. So he went out and cleaned the garage the first day. And the second day, same thing. Carrie, what can I do to make your life better? And she said, go clean the kitchen. And so this went on for a month. And then she broke down and they had probably the most intimate personal conversation they'd had in years where she just said, I'm afraid of losing you. You're becoming famous and I'm nobody. And I think the marriage is my fault, not yours. And, and then she started saying, Paul, Richard, what can I do for you? And uh, they just started focusing more on, on helping the, others, the other person have a better day. And he claims that these good, daily good deeds saved his marriage. So that's one of the stories in the book. Uh, the next concept, which is really important, is, is not holding grudges and being willing to forgive, realizing that we're all works in progress. I'm going to make mistakes, you're going to make mistakes, but we can change and we can improve and we can grow. We're not fixated or who, uh, we're not defined by our mistakes. And, and the great story of forgiveness in the book that I used was a, a friend of mine, her name is Sai Snar, and her son Zach was shot and killed when he was 18 just randomly by someone that thought he wanted to go out and kill somebody. And uh, for 20 years, she was depressed and suicidal and angry and hated the world. She hated Hispanics because the, the uh, gentleman that shot her son was Hispanic. And, and after 20 years, he wrote her a letter from prison. He got life in prison without parole. And, you know, he told her, he said, I've suffered every single day. I was a stupid young kid. I was depressed. I was suicidal. I thought if I committed a major crime, I'd be able to go kill myself. And that was his plan. And he just told her how sorry he was. And he said, you know, I wasn't uh, brought up this way. Uh, my parents are good people. Don't hold this against my family. And she said it just kind of touched her. And they started talking on the phone and exchanging letters. And she eventually went and met him in the prison and has completely forgiven him and invited his family over for dinner. And she just talks about the difference between the hatred and anger she had and the love and forgiveness that she's developed now and how it's like night and day for her. It's like living in hell and now she's back in heaven. And uh, so forgiveness, uh, you know, we don't have things that big to forgive others for, but little petty things, especially in organizations, uh, if we can learn to not take offense in the first place, all the research shows that we're far happier, that forgiveness is something we do for ourselves, you know, not for the other person. Yeah, that's so interesting, Mike. I love that. What are the, what's the next one? So the last two, one is uh, about uh, not becoming attached to material possessions and being willing to share what we have. You know, all the religious uh, writers talked about sharing our resources. The philosophers talk about it. And, and there's a tremendous body of, of research on 
attachment. If we become attached to material things, they end up defining us and they start becoming part of this fabricated self. We, we start feeling like we are the things we own and we possess. But it, uh, the research shows that if we're willing to give away possessions, it doesn't have to be money, it can be knowledge, it can be possessions, it can be clothes, that we feel more, a greater sense of community, we make more friends, we have better interaction, and we just feel a lot more satisfied as long as we just have our basic needs met. And uh, it's kind of interesting, we remodeled our house uh, this year, and we had to completely clean out all the closets and the cupboards, and, and then we had to bring it all back in after the house was remodeled. And my wife and I sat down and said, you know, we have so much stuff, let's give most of it away. And we gave away probably 90% of our clothes and some furniture and uh, things we'd been saving. And we found people that needed those things. And I can't tell you how much we enjoy our uncluttered house and how much joy it brought us to share what we had with other people. I had suits I hadn't worn, the nice suits in great condition I hadn't worn for 10 years. And so sharing and not becoming attached, again, the research shows that'll alleviate despair and unhappiness and launch us into a new realm of joy. Uh, the last one then is just simply, it's, it's one step beyond sharing. It's caring for the needy in our community. We all have people that have maybe lost jobs. They've been divorced. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Uh, maybe they're suffering from depression. And, and uh, if each of us will find a person to befriend and maybe mentor longer term through this crisis, uh, it changes that person, but it changes us as well. There's, you know, a motto I like that has been shown to be true through research, and that is when person A helps person B, person A gets better. So finding someone in need and uh, caring for those people, checking in with them daily and mentoring them through that crisis, that's another part of building a civil community that significantly increases one's personal happiness as well. So those are the six simple concepts. They work in real time. They improve our mental frame of mind. And uh, the thing is, uh, these are not new things, Alex. You know about these things. You've heard about them your whole life. But the problem is we don't do them. So the purpose of the book and the purpose of our all of our video training products, our workshops, are to try to convince people to try these for a month. Go out and try these things for 30 days. And write a journal. Keep track of how did you feel after versus how you felt before. And the conviction is so strong that in the future, when you feel a little bit of despair or unhappiness, then we reflect back and go, I'm not doing those things that really lead to happiness. So that's the overall project. I love it. I'm excited to try these things myself. I'm, I'm very motivated after this. Thank you so much, Mike. And, uh, and thank you for coming on and doing this. This was just enlightening and I said, very inspiring. Yeah, it was great talking with you. Wish you all the best in what you're doing. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow, and leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks.